The title of my message is Transfigured. It's transfigured. If you notice in your notes, it's, it's blank. It's transfigured. Um, and I want to talk to you today about how you see Jesus. Um, even though the Bible tells us that we're made in God's image, we constantly struggle sometimes to make God in our image. How many of you would agree with that if you'd want to be honest in church this morning? There's a lot of times we want God to fall into our fall into line with our thinking and our reasoning and our, our way of life and our plans. We want God to bless our plans instead of asking him what his plans are. And if we're not careful, we'll try to, we'll try to make God in our image. We'll try to make God transform to us, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. So today I want to talk to you about how you see Jesus. The word trans is a very uh, sketchy word today. Um, the word trans is, is a word that's been stolen. It's been stolen by the enemy. Um, just like the rainbow's been stolen, just like all these other things that, that, that the world itself has come against and the world's trying to steal the glory of some of these things. Jesus was transfigured in front of a few of the disciples. That word trans means this simply. I just, I just want to take a minute and redeem the word if I can for a second because we don't need to be afraid of the word trans. Right? So, like, you don't have to be at Walmart and say, you know, trans. Whether you're talking about somebody who's transitioning or not, don't ever be afraid to use a word that was already established. Come on. It's a word, and the word means to cross over. It means to go across. That's what trans means. It means to go across. The word translate means to carry across one, from one language to another. That's what it means to translate. It means to go from one thing to another. Translate, to take a language and to go across the barrier that's keeping you from communicating and translate it to another language. Transportation is the act of carrying across from one place to the next. Transform is to go from one shape across to another. Some of us are still transforming. We've gone from slim to round. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and some of us are, are going from round to slim. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody. Go with me to Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Father, I pray right now that you would just speak to our hearts. God, you'd help us to understand today. Make some things clear to us, Lord. Anoint these words that come out of my mouth. In fact, give me the words to speak today. And give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Jesus, before I get into it, let me set it up a little bit. Jesus had just told his disciples a, few, a, a chapter or so before that he was getting ready to die. He was getting ready to be crucified and suffer. And his disciples are struggling with this right now. When we get to verse, when we get to chapter 17, they're struggling with the fact that Jesus said, I'm getting ready to go away. And Jesus, you, if you read your Bible, you know that Jesus knows what people are feeling. He knows what they're thinking, right? Come on. He knows what's going on. By the way, he knows what's going on inside of you today. He's, he knows what's going on inside of you on your way here today. Come on. And so Jesus understands that his disciples are wrestling with what he just said and watch this in verse 1. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, 
led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking about him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What a moment. How many of you would have liked to have been Peter, James, or John? Like, I, I want to be there, right? Like, I'm not the guy that goes, I'm glad he didn't call my name. Like, I know I want to be in the mix. Like, if God's going to show up, I want to be there. I want to, I want to be the one to hear his audible voice in the cloud come. Come on, somebody. It would be really cool to see Moses and Elijah, which, by the way, I can't figure out how they identified them and recognized them. There was no social media back in those days. <laughs> so the Bible says that Jesus transfigured. That word in the Greek is where we get our English word metamorphosis, which simply means to change a form from natural to supernatural. Jesus revealed his glory to these three guys. Up to this point, you got to get this, up to this point, Jesus has been restraining his glory. Chew on that for a minute. Jesus has been restraining his glory. He has is, he is refused to let his glory shine in front of people like this because of this moment. It wasn't time for him to shine. Remember when his mama wanted him to change the water and the wine? He said, it's not my time. But what did he do? Come on, all you teenagers. He listened to his mama. If Jesus listened to his mama, you need to listen to your mama. And all the parents, I wish I'd, I can put the ball on the tee, but you got to hit the ball. He'd been restraining his glory. By the time the story takes place, the disciples have been walking with Jesus for almost three years now. So they were pretty familiar with Jesus, right? Kind of knew his ways, three years, every day together, camping out, <laughs> eating, talking, ministry work, all these things. They knew Jesus well. They knew his habits. They knew what it was like to be with him. How many of you know sometimes we can get familiar with Jesus? We can get so familiar with Jesus that we just think, you know, hey, he's here. Cool. Jesus. All right. Whatever. If we're not careful, sometimes we can spend a whole day and not even think of Jesus. Some of us go weeks and months without even talking to Jesus. They, they were with him for three years, and they knew him a certain way. They seen the miracles. The miracles were cool as all get out. I mean, think about the ministry opportunities they had. They got to see Jesus do all that he did. In fact, he even anointed them to do some of it themselves. They cast out demons and did things like that. Cool stuff, right? So they knew Jesus up to this moment, and they knew him within this context, but there was more to Jesus than they realized, 
Can I tell you today, there's always more to Jesus than you realize. If you've gotten to a place where you think you know Jesus and you've gotten to the end of his book, you've accepted the lie of the enemy because I promise you, if you'll position yourself to see Jesus again, he'll show you something you've never seen before. Jesus is still wowing people today. And I'm talking about believers who have been believers for a long time. Jesus is not done with you and you shouldn't be done with Jesus. I accept that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Great. Come on, Jesus. Come back. Let's go. And so we're just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. And we become familiar with him. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on this mountain to show them a side of himself that they had never seen before. I want you to notice something. This is one of the few times it says that Jesus took them. How many of you know God's not a forceful God? He can be, but he doesn't force us to love him because that wouldn't be natural love, right? He doesn't force us to serve him because that wouldn't be willing, a willing servant's heart. He doesn't force that. But sometimes he takes us into places on purpose. And the Bible says that he took them up on the mountain. He didn't invite them. He took them. I believe this, that if we'll follow Jesus wherever he wants to go, He will lead us to places to see a side of him that we've never seen before. For some of us today, our unwillingness to follow Jesus to the next thing or to the next step is what's killing you spiritually. Your soul is longing for another taste of Jesus that you haven't had in a while. And because you're disobedient and you have trust issues and you think I've already arrived and I'm good and I'm saved and I'm this. And then you just sit down and you go, well, I'm just going to wait here at the bus stop for Jesus to swing by and pick me up. You're hurting yourself. Can you hear that today? You're hurting yourself. Because there's more to Jesus than you realize. If we'll trust him, he'll lead us to places to see a side of him that we've never seen before. Over three years, they've never seen this side of Jesus before. The Bible says that his face shone like the sun. Which means this, it was hard to look at. That's how bright it was. Charles Spurgeon said that we are scarcely aware of the glory of which the human body is capable. I'm going to teach you something that's a little bit interesting. That's really cool to see that Jesus transfigured in front of the disciples and his face shone like the sun. And even his clothes, his natural clothes, became bright white. There was no Clorox. (laughs) They became bright white on their own. Why? Because of the glory... uh, (laughs) <laughs> because of the glory of the person that they were, they were on, if that makes any, any sense. So his face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright white. How many of you remember when Moses came down from the mountain from meeting with God? The Bible says that his face was bright. It was red. It was, it was beaming. So much so that he had to put a veil over his face because people were freaking out because of the glory that Moses had that he got from meeting with God. In fact, when Moses would go into the Holy of Holies and he would come out, the people, when they they were in in a repentant state, would look out their tents to see if, like, they were afraid to even be around the glory that Moses had. 
I'm saying that to tell you this. You hang out with Jesus, you start looking like Jesus. You hang out with Jesus, you get bright like Jesus. You hang out with Jesus and your stuff gets white like Jesus. Come on, somebody. Your heart will get cleaned. Your clothes will be purified. Your actions will be purified. Your words will be purified if you hang out with Jesus. Romans 8 tells us, Paul tells us that if we'll, if we'll be willing to suffer with Jesus, we can also share in his glory. Not that we're a bunch of glory seekers, but just for the simple fact that if I'm willing to suffer with Jesus, if I'm willing to crucify my flesh and go and do what he wants me to do next, if I'll go to the place, tell the people, do the thing, serve somebody, love somebody, if I suffer, I'm going to also share. Has Jesus grown dark in your life? Has the glory of Jesus faded away in your life? Can you remember the first day you met him? Can you remember the moment your path crossed with his and he forever transformed your life? He brought you from spiritual death into spiritual life. He saved you. Can you remember that moment? Or has Jesus grown dark in your life. So here's a question. Why did Jesus show his glory to the disciples? What was the importance of showing his glory to them? Like why do that Jesus? Why bring Peter, James, and John. Up on the mountain. To see you transfigure into a glorious being. And even have Moses and Elijah there. And then God comes down in a cloud and speaks verbally. Or vocally, and, he, and, and why, why, did, why did Jesus create this moment? You ever wonder why some things are in the Bible that are in the Bible? Like, why do that? What's the purpose? What was he trying to accomplish? Either you're bored to death or you're really anxious to hear what I got to say. <laughs> so why did Jesus show his glory? Well, the first reason why is because Jesus knew they were struggling with the fact that he had just told them he was going to die. He was going to lay his life down on the cross. That he was going to suffer much pain. And that they would see him die on a cross and he would have to be buried. And he knew they were wrestling with that. Because you see, if you don't know Jesus as supernatural Jesus and you only know Jesus as natural Jesus, when natural Jesus disappears, you're not even looking for supernatural Jesus. Right? So Jesus showed them he cared enough about them to use an example like this to make sure that they understood that he had a greater plan, that he was a greater being, that there was more to him than they even knew over the period of three years. Jesus cared enough to bring them up on a mountain and show them his glory and then on the way down said, don't reveal this to anybody until I've risen from the grave. Part of Jesus' purpose in showing his glory was that these guys were going to need some faith. They were going to need some supernatural faith, not just natural faith. They needed some supernatural faith. They needed to know that there was something beyond what they could reason, something beyond what they could see and understand. They needed to know that there was a heavenly power, a heavenly being named God who, who ordained everything and that God would be the one 
that we would run to when we can't do the things we need to do naturally. He knew they needed faith. He knew they needed the faith for what was coming next. In fact, I'll tell you today that every step Jesus would, that Jesus takes you to will require a measure of faith that you currently didn't have. I also find it interesting that evidently the miracles were not enough to show this. Jesus had to bring them on a mountain and show them his transfiguration. Some of us long for miracles. Some of us long for the supernatural things to happen, right? Long to see the wonders and the signs of God and to see all those incredible things happen. And some of us have bought into the lie that those don't happen anymore. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. That never stopped. God never stopped being God. <laughs> but what if I told you there was something greater than miracles? They would need something more. They needed an experience. They needed a knowledge that came from experience that could only come from an intimate experience with God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 is one of my life verses. When I understood this verse, it changed my life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Version. It says this, And we have seen and know by personal experience that the Son of God has actually come to this world. And has given us understanding and insight so that we, watch these two words, may progressively and personally know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. So he's given us the right to know him personally. And then he's given us the understanding to know him progressively and personally. Come on, somebody progressively means like we should continue to get to know him. Like you've not come to the end of Jesus yet. Ah, you've not come to the end of Jesus yet. Just because he didn't show up like you wanted him to show up doesn't mean that you got to the end of him. Progressively. Means to come after him. This is what blows my mind as a pastor. Is we, we have this great privilege to know God. We have this great, we've been brought back into a relationship with him. Before you were saved, you were his enemy. Now that you've been saved, you're his friend. You've been adopted into his family. You belong to him. Now the relationship with God has been restored. And then we go silent. We find us a nice little corner in the kingdom and we just kind of sit there. When's that bus coming? What you doing? I'm just waiting on the bus. And there's so much more. We've been called into his family. We've been given this great privilege to know him and to know him personally. The word know in this verse means to have intimate experiential knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that doesn't come any other way but intimate experiences. Where do we get intimate experiences with God? In our obedience to God. Go to the woman at the cash register at Walmart and give her a $20 bill and tell her I love her. Oh, that ain't God. That's the pizza I ate last night. <laughs> so we don't get to have an intimate experience with God because we refuse to do what he's leading us to do. Go cut your neighbor's grass. Ah, right, cut your own dang grass. Dang, I said dang. Some of y'all went. 
They cut their own grass. What if the next thing that will change their life is just a blessing? Out of the blue. From somebody they know already don't like them. And what if you go cut their grass and God transforms their life and you get to have an intimate experience with God? What if that changes your life more than it changes theirs? What if your obedience is more for you than the other person? So I believe we're all one experience away from knowing Jesus better. Peter, James, and John would, get, would need to get this revelation quickly because the cross was just around the corner. I wonder how many times we miss the invitation to come when Jesus invites us into a place to experience him, but we won't go because we don't like it. I wonder how many times we miss those moments. I wonder how many times we miss the redemptive work of God when we were just too stubborn to say, I'm sorry. We refuse to go and ask for forgiveness or to confess our wrong. We were stuck in justification. I wonder how many times we miss the invitations of Jesus to see him in a way that we've never seen him before. I wonder if Peter becomes Peter if he never sees Jesus transfigure on the mountain. Listen to how Peter describes that moment in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is Peter telling about the moment on the mountain. He says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven and when we were with him on the holy mountain. Watch this, verse 19. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. What if your courage is hinging on the next experience with Jesus? What if your boldness is waiting on the next moment with Jesus? What if you're only one experience away with Jesus from everything changing in your life? Peter said, because of that experience, he pointed to that experience, and he said, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message of Christ. I firmly believe you can only have so much confidence from your intellect. You can be a theologian of the Bible, but if you've never had an experience with Jesus, you're lacking. You cannot have ever read your Bible, have an experience with Jesus, and have more of an experience and know Jesus better than somebody who studied him for their whole life. Go ask the people in the tribes who've never read a Bible, but they've experienced Jesus' presence. Peter says, he points to that experience because of that. I wonder why the church across the globe today is so fragile and so gentle and so, so passive and so easily pushed over. Could it be that we're lacking confidence? 
Could it be because we don't know how to sit with the Lord, because we don't know how to obey him, because we don't know how to go and do what he says to do in our daily lives? Come on, Jesus has an assignment for you every single day. It may be small, but he has an assignment for you every single day to show his love, to show his mercy, to show his grace, to tell somebody about him, to go and be something to somebody that he wants you to be. He has an assignment for us every day. Why do we keep taking days off? Some of us have clocked out and we don't want to clock back in. We're sitting on the bench waiting on the bus. That experience led to greater confidence. That, this is the beautiful thing. That experience led to greater confidence. That confidence led to more experiences. Those experiences led to more confidence. That confidence led to more experiences. My friends, that's called growth. That's spiritual growth. That's getting to know Jesus more than you did yesterday. That's growing from day to day to day to day. One leads to the next. So I believe some of us lack confidence because we've not allowed Jesus to transfigure himself in front of us or to us. We've come to a place where I know the Jesus of the Bible. I know Jesus on the pages. And I'm good there. I'm good there. Like, I just want to know him there. That's comfortable for me. That's safe for me. I was a guy who studied my Bible hard for several years straight. Very, very disciplined. You can ask my wife every single morning. I had my face in the book. I was writing in my journal, taking notes. I was a student of God's word. And I knew Jesus up to a point, but he brought me into a place where I would begin to see him in everyday life, where everything that I'd ever learned from the pages would become real and would become lifelike in in my everyday world. That's when my life really started to change. When I seen Jesus in, in the workplace, I saw Jesus at the gas station. I saw Jesus at the gas pump. Come on, he goes to the gas pump. Even with the high prices, he still goes to the gas pump. But my life changed forever. So if Jesus wants to share his glory with us, why are we not seeing it? Could it be that we're scared of his presence? Look at verse 6 of Matthew 17. It says, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. When God showed up in the cloud... They were greatly afraid. Wow. Why would we be afraid of God? Let me give you four reasons why. Number one, it could be because we have a bad view of God. Some of us see God with a black robe on, sitting behind a a bench with a gavel in his hand. And he's watching our every step, and as soon as we slip, he slams the gavel down. We see God as a judge. We see God as harsh. We see God as strict. We see God as merciless. 
Maybe you just have a bad view of God. Or maybe you see God as just some lofty being up there that one day we may get to meet, may not get to meet. You're not sure about that part, but you just had a little feeling one day. So you prayed a prayer and gave your life to Jesus, I think. And maybe he's just some being up in the sky that, you know, he's no different than Muhammad or anybody else. He's just one of those guys. Maybe we just have a bad view of God. Maybe you think that God's like your daddy and he don't care about you. Maybe you think he don't, he don't love you and he ain't worried about your details. Maybe you hear him like you heard your daddy say, suck it up. It's going to go away before you get married. Guilty. So maybe it's because we have a bad view of him. Maybe that's why we're afraid of him. Maybe it's because we misunderstand the fear of the Lord. Maybe because we take that fear as like Halloween type fear. Like I need to tremble and cringe at the presence of God and I need to, I need to just bow low and just, and just kind of like a whoop dog. I just need to sit here and, and hope that God don't strike me. That's the fear of the Lord. So the more I cringe down and the more I, I kind of act like a whip dog, the more I'm being holier, the more I'm being, I'm being a better person because I'm a whip dog and God's the whipper. To fear the Lord is to have reverent honor for God. How can, how can he say to fear me like a whipped dog, but yet come into my throne room with boldness? The scriptures can never contradict themselves. If we have permission to go into it, to walk into his throne room, then why should we be like a whipped puppy? He never intended us to be like a whipped puppy. We were brought from slaves to sons. For the love of God. So because we have this misunderstanding of the fear of the Lord, we can't connect with him. We're, we're isolated. We're sitting here lonely, desperate, trying to act like a Christian. But we have no power. We have no authority. And so we sit on the bench and we wait for the bus. Should have named the, the sermon the bench and the bus. Now be careful. Number three, maybe it's because we're afraid of what it will cost us to be close to him. It might inconvenience me. It might mess up my calendar. Lord knows I don't like to erase nothing off my calendar. I might have to shift my lifestyle. I might have to give up some things that I like, that I enjoy, that my flesh really, really, really enjoys. I may have to, it may cost me too much. I don't know if I want to spend that much to be in God's presence. It's just not, evidently it's not worth it. It's funny because you were worth it. I was worth it. Maybe we're just afraid of what it's going to cost us. What will people think about me if I start helping people that they don't like? What will people think about me if I start being kind instead of being religious? What will people think if I start reading my Bible every day and quoting scripture? What will people think if I'm led by the spirit and not by my flesh? Number four, maybe it's because we are simply ignorant to the fact that he wants to be close to us. And that is quite possible. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. Some people just don't know that God wants to be really close to us. 
Am I in the right church? Like some people just really don't know. Like they've just never been taught that God could come into a place that you could sit in a moment with God and, and actually experience his presence. Some people don't know that you could actually go up on a mountain and see God transfigure in front of you. Some people don't know. No kick against you, but I hope today you learn. God loves to hang out with his people. So watch what happens in verse 7. So they're, they're on the ground cringing like some whip dogs. Watch what Jesus does, verse 7. Jesus came and touched them. He didn't beat them. He touched them. And he said, arise and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Have you ever had one of your kids that were afraid of you? Like you ever had one mess up and they knew they were about to get it? Like they were freaking out. Does anybody have a kid like we do? I'm not going to say their name. But, but a kid like we do, like you couldn't whip them. You couldn't discipline them. They would melt before you even, like as soon as they knew you knew, they would just, yeah. how'd that make you feel? Like, golly, am I that bad of a person? Jesus walks up, touches them and says, rise, do not be afraid. There's not anything to be afraid of. So think about this. Peter, James, and John just get invited into a moment to see Jesus transfigure, to see Moses and Elijah, and to hear the voice of God from the cloud. And then Jesus comes alongside and touches them and says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. My presence is a safe place. I'm a safe father. I'm good. I'm only good. I care about you. I love you. I want to show you more things. I want to take you to places you've never been before. I want to help you do some things you've never done before. It's safe. So let me wrap it up with this. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for us. It's a beautiful prayer. You ought to read the whole thing. I'm just going to give you a, a, a blip of it, but you ought to read the whole thing. Jesus is praying for us like Jesus is talking to his daddy for us. That's how cool it is. Verse 22, listen to what Jesus says. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see all the glory you've given, you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Jesus wants to share some glorious moments with you. He wants to do it together. If you just go wherever he leads, he'll bring you to some places that you can experience him like you've never experienced him before. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. 
It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter how long you've been, you've been following Christ. It doesn't, none of those things matter. Jesus will take you on day one and he'll take you on day 3,000. May they experience. Isn't that awesome? May they experience. So here's a question for you. How do you currently see Jesus? How do you currently see Jesus? Is he just a Bible character? A figment? How do you see him? I want you to get real honest with yourself. I believe in the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us today. How do you see him? I'm not worried about how somebody else sees him. How do you see him? Is he the Jesus that's able to show you something new? Is he the Jesus that's still exciting? Is he the Jesus that's supernatural? Or has he become a name on a page? How do you see Jesus currently? What's your relationship with him like? I didn't come here today with this message to condemn you. I came here today to invite you back into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is exciting. Jesus is adventurous. Jesus is full of life. He's positive, not negative. You get tired of hanging out with negative people, go hang out with Jesus. <laughs> he's full of love. He's full of mercy. And he's full of grace. Or have you become like Jonah? And the Lord sent you to do something and you didn't want to go do it because you didn't feel like they deserved it. Now you find yourself in the belly of a big old fish. How long are you going to stay in that fish? you show to us I thank you for the great privilege of knowing you you brought us back you redeemed us you called us out of death into life and you've given us your spirit to live inside of us you've set a place for us at the table you said we can sit down with you and we can dine with you. We can now hear and understand your voice and we can now speak to you directly. What a privilege. I'm so grateful that you're not the judgmental God I was raised to know. The one that strikes with an iron fist even though you can if you wanted to. The difference is you choose not to because you don't want to. God, I thank you for the times I deserved judgment, but instead you gave me grace and mercy. When I knew I was going to get it, I knew you were going to be done with me, you came in with grace and mercy, and you transformed my life. 
I'm reminded of the nation of Israel and how they had a bipolar type of relationship with you where they would come back to you and as soon as things were good, they would walk away from you. And they would chase idols and worship foreign gods and they would, they would basically insult you and spit in your face, but then you would have mercy on them time and time again and you would bring them back to yourself and then you would keep on going with them. You kept bringing them to the promised land. You never changed your mind about that. And God, how can we, we, we can also be the same way, Lord, where we, we have good times with you and then there's times where we turn our back and you're so merciful, so full of grace. And, wow, you're so exciting. You like to set up moments for us to experience you. tell me to go somewhere is <laughs> I really need to go not because I have to now but because I want to I want to go and experience you I want to see you move in somebody's life I want to see you move like I've never seen you move before I want to be there with you Lord I want to be in the middle of the action Father I'm not dead neither are you Lord my last breath, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go where you send me. Do what you tell me. Say what you tell me. And see what you want me to say. Holy Ghost, light a fire inside of us today. I pray for some of us that will return to our first love. It's like Jesus warned the church in, in Revelation that we, they would return. You've lost your first love. Come back to your first love. Come back, come back, come back. If he didn't want you back, he wouldn't invite you back. God moving us today.